when I came onto the project four years ago, I was not necessarily a Johnny Cash fan, but you can't uh, listen to this guy's music and study his story for four years and not become a fan of him. Mm -hmm. And uh, when the man comes around. <laughs> yeah, the man comes around. I definitely came around. That is true. Yo, welcome to my summer lair. I'm your host, a boy named Sammy. He was the man in black, a singer-songwriter with that distinct voice who wrote songs about the common man and the downtrodden. If you don't know hits like uh, Ring of Fire, I Walk the Line, and of course, A Boy Named Sue, you certainly know his later American recordings like The Man Comes Around, yes, and extraordinary covers like One and, of course, Hurt. He got a start with Sun Records in Memphis. He once was addicted to drugs. He married June Carter. He played for inmates at Folsom Prison. And he shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. You know Johnny Cash. Ben Smallbone's Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, is a documentary that traces Johnny's rough yet steady faith and how it guided his life and electrified his music. No Road to Redemption is linear, and Grace, well, Grace is messy, like a toddler eating spaghetti. Insights from Cash's family members, like John Carter Cash, his son, and his sister, Joanne Cash Yates, are coupled with Johnny's own words plucked from over 100 tapes that he recorded for an autobiography that he never published or even released. Go to the documentary, and you can hear some of that audio for the first time. Johnny's own remarkable voice telling much of his own life story. Honestly, this isn't a documentary. Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon is a parable. When you go into a dark room, we have faith that we can find the light switch. We hope the lights will turn on when we flip the switch. And though we take it for granted, we should have joy that something so simple works so effectively. Light fills the room and brings us out of the darkness. Gratitude, yo. Here's my interview with the director of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, Ben Smallbone, brother of musical duo for King and Country. Ben's brothers are Joel and Luke Smallbone. That's who King and Country are, a Christian pop duo. Think uh, Coldplay meets Hillsong. Joel and Luke make music and Ben directs and helps make the music videos. Which is where we're going to start this My Summer Lair conversation. Not talking about the man in black, but happily talking about another country legend. One who personifies grace. Dolly Parton. Sound, the final frontier. My Summer Lair is an enterprise, a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan. All right, so we will officially get started. Let's do it. But before we talk about the uh, the man in black, we got to talk about another legend, Dolly Parton. Uh, you worked with Dolly on the second video for King and Country's God Only Knows. I think it was the remix. How was your experience with Dolly Parton? Dolly Parton, yo. 
Dolly Parton. Well, my experience with Dolly was absolutely incredible. We, um, I got to work on a music video with her called God Only Knows, and she uh, sang on it with my brothers. They're in a band, Fakin Country. Mm-hmm. And it was an amazing experience. You know, you hear all of these stories about these legends, and you fully expect when you meet that legend for it just not to live up to to what it, what you've heard, mm-hmm. right? And so in this scenario, I was honestly a little worried about that. And even her team, she's got a lot of people around her and a lot of the meetings and the phone calls about the shoot. There, There's an intensity around it. Well, she shows up and she's anything but intense. Mm-hmm. Um, sweetheart, we had this dressing room that we had spent a lot of time and effort in making it perfect for her. She didn't even go into her dressing room. She sat in a director's chair next to me on set pretty much the entire time taking pictures and watching us work, which is really unique because again, you work with a lot of these big stars, mm-hmm. you know, you get them for 10, 15 minutes on set and then they're back in the trailer, right? Or they're back in their dressing room. Dolly did not want that. She wanted to be present on set. The other amazing thing about Dolly was she didn't just come up and show up and let us tell her where to stand or what to wear or what props to hold. She brought exactly what she wanted to wear she had a storyline written out for her character wow. in the music video and she brought props what? that she wanted, you know, specifically situated in the scene. I mean, there's a reason she's a massive superstar mm-hmm. and it's because she cares about those little details. Honestly, a lot like Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash from the wardrobe he wore mm-hmm. to the songs that he wrote to the movies that he picked and chose and made uh, everything about his career was the little details and Dolly is the same. What kind of props did she bring? I'm curious now. Like, this is incredible. Like, Dolly's still kind of putting this effort in. Because um, like you said, she can skate by on this stuff. You know, and just show up on Dolly Parton. Absolutely. And we would have expected that. We would have been ready for her. If I recall correctly, she brought a picture frame to put by the uh, bedroom scene. So she plays a, a woman of the night. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. That's what she preferred to be called. She didn't want to be called a prostitute. She wanted to be a woman of the night. Okay. Dolly's uh, classic. In a music video. Yeah, she's classy. (laughs) And um, she had a picture frame by her bed. She had a purse that was kind of a little uh, weird looking. Mm -hmm. Um, She definitely put some thought into making sure it looked like a woman of the night purse. Mm -hmm. And she brought a flask. Wow. She didn't have anything in it, Mm -hmm. but she brought it. She ended up deciding not to have it in the shot because she felt like it was a little too much. Mm-hmm. But those are some of the props that she brought to the uh, the God Only Knows music shoot. Wow. Okay. I, I was surprised when you and I were talking a little bit off air that uh, you kind of came late to Johnny Cash in terms of his music. Like considering like, as you said, your brothers are in a band for King and Country and they're really successful. And like, uh, I think they even were, are, or were based in Tennessee for a while. You know what I mean? Like. I was surprised that Cash oh, yeah. kind of came a little bit late into your life. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Australia a little bit until I was almost 11 and moved here to the States uh, and lived in Nashville, Tennessee. So obviously, living here in Nashville, Tennessee, you can't escape mm-hmm. Johnny Cash. I mean, there's highways now named after him. There's museums, there's billboards. He's everywhere. Um, you know, restaurants, they'll have a Johnny Cash burger, you know, a Johnny Cash drink. Um, there's all kinds of Johnny Cash everywhere. But in terms of knowing intimately his story, I was not aware of his story until four years ago when I started this journey to tell this film. And since then, you know, he's become a friend, um, you know, in many ways, reading his books and listening to his words. He's become a mentor 
He's spoken truth into my life, even though he hasn't been on this earth for almost 20 years. And so, um, you know, I would say now I'm a, definitely a Cash fan. I, I fell in love with the simplicity of his music, mm-hmm. the rawness and the authenticity of the way he lived his life. Like he wasn't a guy that hid behind a wall or a fence to hide his, you know, mortality or his um, frailties and his struggles. He lived and breathed that for the world to see and wasn't shy about it and wrote songs about it. And I love that about Johnny Cash. Yeah, he's always in that kind of between the sacred and like the the special, you know what I mean? Like he's kind of like, he's always got a little bit of dirt on the shoes, basically. Yeah, he's a rare combination of sinner and saint. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't shy about either. Yeah. Um, you know, even after he turned his life around and really, you know, was pursuing God in his life, he still had some stumbles along the way and he talked about it. He wasn't shy about it. And I think that's what made him so authentic and so real and why he's such a, a legend even to this day. So before Johnny Cash, the redemption of an American icon, he directed Steve McQueen, American icon uh, in 2017. That's, a, of course, the famous actor who was in Bullet. Shout out to Bullet. Amazing movie. Uh, McQueen also earned the Rebel label, uh, much like Cash did. Like that seems to be the theme in between these two documentaries. What it is about these rebels that captivates audiences? They were huge. Like Steve McQueen was a massive movie star, and Cash, of course, was a top shelf musician. But yet they're rebels. What is it that seems to kind of captivate or capture the attention of people? Yeah, I think uh, that rebellious um, attitude that Steve McQueen has is obviously prevalent in Johnny Cash, mm-hmm. and you you know those two guys are American legends and so iconic. And a lot of what made them iconic was their rebelliousness to the system, to, you know, you know, Johnny Cash being told to do something and going and doing the opposite. Steve McQueen, the same way, like they would tell him to say a line or to do something in a scene and he would completely ignore it and go do his own thing. And it ended up being brilliant. And mm-hmm. those moments were captured in a majority of his films. I think there's something um, about both of them, too, that they were willing to just live vulnerably in front of the public. They kind of exposed themselves in ways that allowed the audience to see behind the curtain. And that rebelliousness, I think, is one of the reasons why they want to do that. And there's something beautiful and entertaining about seeing these people live out their very real lives and not be shy about their brokenness. And so, um, you know, the rebellious, rebelliousness uh, that attracted me to Steve McQueen was one of the same things that attracted me to Johnny Cash. And what was amazing to me in, in both stories is these men were rebellious throughout their lives. And even after they, you know, turned their lives around and, yeah. and pursued their faith, mm-hmm. they were still rebellious. Mm-hmm. They're still rebellious against their record labels or rebellious against their movie studios. They still didn't want to live you know, the cookie cutter required Hollywood life or what the music industry required them or even what the church required of them in certain ways. They were rebellious till the end. A great example of what you're talking about, it's in the, the, your documentary on Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. He had a Johnny Cash TV show for a couple of seasons and there was a uh, ABC was the network at the time and they were like, yo, can you kind of tone down some of the spirituality or the Christianity? Like, don't be so religious, right? And he was like, all right, I'm Absolutely. just going to do this hymn or this, this song or whatever. And, like, he kept singing about God and kept singing about Jesus. I'm like, here you go. Like, it was almost the wrong person to give notes to, right? Like, oh, why, yeah. why would you give Johnny Cash feedback like that, like, to tone it down when it's, like, 
you hired him because he was Johnny Cash. Well, you have to see the documentary to, to really appreciate that moment. But we have multiple artists in that section talking about if somebody told Johnny Cash to do something, mm-hmm. it made him want to do the opposite. And so <laughs> when these executives from ABC came to him and said, hey, we need you to tone down the faith. We need to, to tone down the gospel music. He leaned in heavier into talking about his faith. He leaned heavier into the gospel music. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of rebellion that Johnny Cash was known for. Yeah, and so some of the people that you you've kind of alluded to that are in this documentary, it's a fascinating group of people. Cheryl Crow, Tim McGraw, Alice Cooper, uh, John Snyder. I think he played Bo on uh, Dukes of Hazzard. Uh, these are all in Johnny Cash's Redemption of an American Icon. Like, Cash has touched so many lives. How did you select or, like, what was the criteria to decide who gets to be in this documentary? You could have had tons of people just alone just doing testimonies about Cash's life and what how he impacted them. Yeah, I... I think there was there was two criteria. One, you know, somebody that was deeply impacted by Johnny Cash, uh, like a Tim McGraw, for example. He never met Johnny Cash, mm-hmm. but his music and uh, country music in general was incredibly impacted by Johnny. Uh, you know, and it was fun just even talking with Tim in person. This didn't make it into the movie, but you know, June and Johnny were kind of the king and queen of country music in their time. And that is now Faith Hill and Tim McGraw in many ways. And so, um, Hmm. you know, I think that was one of the things that attracted them to it. I think secondly, we wanted artists and celebrities that were willing to talk about maybe some of the faith elements that they saw in Johnny and June's story. And so, um, you know, being able to talk about his redemption or his faith was something that we really wanted. And a lot of these artists were very willing to talk about that in the documentary. And there's also a lot of Cash's family as well in the documentary. As you, someone who works closely with his family, how important was it to have not just access, but a connection, a direct connection to Cash's family? Yeah, absolutely. And you find this uh, in the beginning of the film. You know, the first 15 minutes is told directly from either his sister, Mm -hmm. Johnny Cash's sister, or Johnny Cash's son. And these are people that either witnessed, you know, Johnny's journey in his faith and ultimately becoming uh, an iconic legend in the music industry, or, um, you know, had firsthand stories and lived with Johnny as, you know, his son did. He sat with them for years towards the end and... Um, talk through a lot of his stories and his struggles and you know John Carter Cash has written books about it and so we wanted somebody um, or multiple people that had you know firsthand information directly from either their relationship with Johnny or the stories that Johnny told them directly is that where the access to the 100 tapes that came through yeah so early on we realized when we were diving into this project that we wanted to do this film in partnership with the Cash Estate. Mm-hmm. And and we wanted John Carter Cash's voice in it, along with Joanne's voice. And so the Cash Estate owns dozens and dozens of hours of autobiography tapes that Johnny recorded with his writer, his co-writer, for his autobiography. And so we got to listen through those tapes. Um, and gosh, I wish I wish everybody could hear, you know, his heart as he poured it out you know, towards the end of his life. But we took excerpts of those tapes and used it throughout the documentary to emphasize his journey, his redemption, and ultimately his faith. Yeah, and one of the pivotal scenes, I don't know, this might be a spoiler, (laughs) I guess, but uh, is the cave scene. 
Uh, oh yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. First, can you just kind of describe like the lead up to it and the kind of the cave scene? Because it's just such a like uh, it's like a road to Damascus type of moment, right? Where Cash saw the light. Oh yeah. But there was a lot of darkness before he saw the light. Yeah. So you know, there's there's a saying that goes, um, you know, the light shines brightest in the dark. And so we wanted to make sure that we took the audience uh, through the darkness so that the light would shine brighter. And the reality is, is in any documentary, you're trying to find some kind of story or some kind of hook or some kind of device, whether it's audio tapes or uh, an element of their life that you can kind of call back to visually throughout your documentary. And when we discovered this cave story, mm-hmm. we're like, oh, that's that's a story you can build a documentary around. And the story follows Johnny in 1967 after a decade of, of fame and fortune, but also of drugs and sex and alcohol, all the things of rock and roll mm-hmm. that had slowly inf- infiltrated his life. Um, he had decided he didn't want to live anymore. And so he had some property down in Chattanooga and there was a cave on this property and he journeyed into this cave, not knowing the way out. And he just wanted to go as deep as far into this cave to die. Mm-hmm. And so he journeyed into the darkness. He, lit and smoked his last cigarette his flashlight ran out of batteries and he laid in the the dirt in the cold of the the cave to die and in that cave in the darkness he heard god's voice say to him i am not done with you yet and right when that happened a a wind picked up and howled through the cave and he got up and he crawled towards that wind and ultimately that led him out of the cave into the light and I don't know if there's a better parable or metaphor for redemption than that moment of, you know, a man journeying so far into the darkness that he started to see the light on the other side and, and God saved him. I have no doubt about that in that moment. Yeah, it was because cl- like you, you kind of touch upon it, like he really thought this was it. Like he was done, like he was addicted to amphetamines and stuff like that. Like he really thought like he was gonna check out like settle the final bill and kind of like check out of the hotel and like that was it yeah and honestly um there's so many stories around that cave Mm -hmm. you know car crashes and and near-death experiences i mean gosh there's a rarely told story about him breaking into his record label and cutting himself on on glass on a glass door and almost bleeding to death Mm -hmm. and the police finding him the next day and thinking he was a murder victim um the guy in that few years was was asking to die in so many ways and i believe god spared him because he still had a message to give to the world Mm -hmm. yeah one of the themes that runs through your documentary is that cash was uncomfortable with fame he didn't quite know how to process it he didn't know quite how to deal with it you and your brothers have had a lot of success is fame weird or difficult to deal with like what kind of head trip is fame like well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put myself in the category of my brothers. And I don't think my brothers would put themselves in the category of Johnny Cash. But, you know, there is, there's an element of, um, you know, you add social media in today. And I don't know if a Johnny Cash could have survived or done a lot of the <laughs> things that he did. Yeah. Um, because our, our lives are constantly on display for the world to see and to judge. Um, and honestly, I can't even imagine some of the things that, that he walked through and how difficult it was. You know, back in those days, when they traveled from show to show, which they do, you know, hundreds of shows a year, they drove themselves. They didn't have tour buses. They didn't fly on jets. They mm-hmm. literally would pile into a Cadillac and drive between location to location. 
And so, um, you know, that, that ultimately led to exhaustion, which ultimately led to drugs. Thankfully, my brothers and I have been very protected by that. Um, part of the reason why we've been protected by that is that we, we do all of this together. We make films together. Uh, they make music together. Um, my dad is their manager. My other brother does their lighting. Another brother manages them. And so it's a family affair. And so honestly, you surround yourself with fa family. Um, you know, there's, there's people to call you out on your crap. There's people to tell you, hey, you're being ridiculous. Um, and so there's a beauty in the accountability. Also, there's a struggle in it too, obviously, at times. But I think, you know, um, with fame and fortune, staying grounded is incredibly important. And I don't think Johnny did. I think he got out on the road and he'd be out on the road hundreds of days a year and his family wasn't with him. He was away and everybody's telling him how amazing he is, how incredible he is. And at some point you start to believe that and you start to go, well, yeah, I am incredible. I am amazing and I deserve this. Mm -hmm. And that kind of fame and fortune um, for many people is destructive. It's sometimes too is a lack of gratitude as well, right? Just even something as small as that can be like a little pebble that can kind of start an avalanche into like ego and all those kind of things. And you kind of see that too. Where like there are genuine parts like in the cave and or post after the cave and things like that where Johnny Cash was clearly thankful and grateful that he got saved and he was able to like have a second lease at life and that kind of thing. But there are also other times too where you can kind of see like that ego got in the way and he wasn't quite grateful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, I think his drugs uh, had a lot to do with that. I mm -hmm. think he talks about it in the documentary. The drugs kind of overshadowed a lot of his kindness and his humility. Um, and so I think, you know, and when I say drugs, the guy was popping pills that would kill an average human being. And then you combine alcohol into that, you combine the fame and fortune and being out on the road, the pressures of, of that. Um, you know, it's amazing the guy survived, but I think a lot of that clouds that thankfulness. It, it clouds your humility. And so, yeah, I think ultimately that's what led him on this downward spiral that almost killed him i'm curious about something for you as a filmmaker because uh, hebrews 11 says now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see so as a filmmaker who makes like faith-based movies how do you square faith knowing it's just being certain of what we do not see considering you're working in a visual medium wow you're going deep there, Sammy. Um, Sorry. Let me ponder that for one second. <laughs> Is that too much? Sorry. No, no, no. It's good. It's just, uh, you know, it, when you're doing these um, these interviews, you know, this will be my 10th in a, a week, I think. Mm -hmm. You get a lot of the same questions. <laughs> and so I like the surprising the questions. Let me ponder that for a second. Re uh, ask it to me one more time. Hebrews 11 is the famous verse, right? Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Certain of what we do not see is what I'm focusing on because as a filmmaker who makes faith-based movies, how do you square faith knowing it's just certain of what we do not see? Again, considering you're working in a visual medium. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in the film... Um, we, we touch on his mortality towards the end. And there's this moment where he's being interviewed by Larry King just weeks before his death. And he, uh, he is asked, where do we go to heaven? And he kind of pauses for a second 
and he says, when we die, you mean, um, you know, where do we go? And, and Johnny responds and he says, heaven, I hope. And I always was shocked by that response because to me, you know, I've lived and breathed this guy's story for four years. And, you know, after 1967, that cave experience, I, I don't think for a moment he questioned his where his place was in the afterlife. I think he had certainty um, that he was going to see himself in, he in heaven. And, and weeks later, um, he, he did pass away. And he had this great hope of, of where he was going to be. And I think as a, as a filmmaker, as an artist, um, part of what you do as a documentary filmmaker is you, you ask questions. And I think my entire life, I have spent asking questions, uh, whether it's in the Steve McQueen documentary, a documentary I'm working on with, uh, about my brothers, um, now Johnny Cash. It's all about asking questions. And I think, you know, I think it's okay to be a Christian, to have faith and still ask those questions. You know, even Johnny Cash, this man that spent his last few decades, he was an ordained minister. He recorded multiple gospel albums. He made a move, movie about Jesus's life. Even he, at his, you know, dying weeks from death, said, I want to be in heaven. You know, I think I'm going to go to heaven, I hope. Mm -hmm. um, and so there is this always this question of, you know, um, you know, are we, let me rephrase that. I think it's okay for us as Christians, and Johnny showed this to ask those deep, difficult questions of where is my place in the afterlife? Um, and, you know, Johnny had hopes of heaven, and, and I do too. That's a good way to put it. I mean, the Jesus we see in the New Testament, people are constantly asking him questions, and he never gets upset or gets angry or, like, he wasn't intimidated by any of the questions. You can ask hard things, and I, I like that openness. I think sometimes... Uh, the ch some churches or certain Christians too are like they'd like to shut things down and I think this is again going back to your documentary about Johnny Cash was that Johnny Cash w was messy in a sense like it's like that guy who has his breakfast crumbs all over his shirt but in Johnny Cash's case the crumbs all over his yeah. shirt are like his spirituality his Christianity I think that's why he's such an icon today and I honestly think that's why this music this this movie and his music is is so powerful because it is real it is authentic it's relatable he's not this like perfect christian up on this pedestal that you can celebrate and he has no failings and he has no issues or problems it's not a perfect ending like you know the reality is is even all the way to the ending um things were difficult with his kids mm -hmm. uh you know he had a difficult relationship with his ex-wife there was people throughout his life um, that he had wronged and, and he did everything he could to make those things right. But again, he was a man. Um, he was a flawed human being that was pursuing God in his life, but at the end he was still human. And so I think, you know, asking those questions, uh, which he did so openly and honestly, you know, you watch that hurt music video to me, that whole hurt music video is a big question mark. 
it's his final like exclamation mark on life, but it's also got, it's full of question marks. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he was afraid to ask those, those difficult questions at all. That video is phenomenal. <laughs> uh, obviously I was too young for a lot of the earlier, like the Tennessee two with that kind of stuff with cash or whatever, but just having cash later in life with the Rick Rubin era, that's definitely one of my favorite, like cashes, uh, cash eras, uh, incarnations, I guess. Well, and just even that music video, um, I mean, the guy is, you know, old and he's willing to expose his age in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, they barely put any makeup on the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's frail. He's holding the wine glass and he's handshaking. Um, you know, what I love is the authenticity, even all the way to the last moments of his life. He wasn't afraid to bear it and show his humor. But that's also like old man music too. Like you can't be like a 20 year old and sing a song like that and like give it that gravity and that like, you know what I mean? When he's singing, like, everyone I know goes away in the end. You're like, oh man, that's a punch to the stomach. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. like a lot of oh, music yeah. and a lot of the pop culture we celebrate is youth based and that's fine. And it's a lot of fun and it's good. And we like going to the movies and we like playing music. But every now and then you do need some like old man music, right? We're like, oh yeah, uh, Folsom Prison Blues. Just somebody who's seen some things and he can't unsee them. Yeah, and I think a lot of his music there at the end was was powerful and has lasted as long as it has because of that. It has so much story to it. Gosh, you listen to his voice and his voice isn't strong anymore. It's kind of frail, but it's still got that same deep tone. Mm-hmm. But it's got this like timber to it, this age to it that I think is really relatable. And it tells you of a man that's lived a long, hard life and he's got some lessons to give. And that, that those albums are full of messages that he wanted to give. And so is your documentary. So now you've done Johnny Cash, American Icon, and you've done Steve McQueen, American Icon. Are you working on a third American Icon? Oh, gosh, there's lots of ideas floating around. Um, Honestly, between us, I might take a little bit of a break from documentary filmmaking. I might uh, jump into a scripted mm-hmm. uh, film for a minute. Um, I would argue that documentaries are, are, are as hard, if not harder, than the narratives, um, just because there is so much you can do in a story. Like, what part do you focus of of a 73-year-old man? You know, what part do you tell? What part don't you tell? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we had hundreds of hours of recordings, millions of pictures and hours of videotape. So I think going back to a script where <laughs> the box is a little more defined mm-hmm. is really exciting to me. But yes, we are talking about continuing the series, whether that's continuing the series with me in the director's chair or as a producer, we have uh, yet to see and I'm not I'm not sure I'm ready to make that decision just yet but good question fair enough uh, that's it we covered quite a bit uh, we started off with uh, Dolly Parton then we went to the men in black <laughs> and uh, we even got in Steve McQueen in there that's usually a pretty yeah. good conversation yeah that's some icons right there yeah thank you um, yeah you got me on that that question I'm gonna have to ponder that one a little bit after uh, after we finish but yeah great Great conversation, great questions. I really enjoyed it. It's interesting because faith is such a a weird um, struggle. Like uh, that's what the theme was for your whole Johnny Cash documentary. But a lot of the struggle that people have is like stuff that you generally don't get to see. You don't get to see the way that people kind of like praying and tossing and turning at night and like kind of working through things. Like 
there's a lot we spend a lot of time reading and praying and doing these kind of things but you never get it really documented nobody puts like here i am doing my daily devotions on instagram you know what i mean you might get a photo of you in church or two here or there but generally it's not something that gets documented in your life social media good or bad i think has forced us to be more vulnerable and more open without without issues Mm -hmm. um and maybe it's created more issues i don't know but i think there's a beauty in in being vulnerable and being honest and then realizing that we're all in the same struggles and the same battles, Christian or not, we're all struggling with the same things. All right, great. So I will follow up with you when the third American icon documentary comes out, <laughs> whether you produce Let's it or direct it. it. And then uh, we'll yeah. kind of, we can kind of keep the conversation going. Thank you so much, Ben, for like hanging out. Yeah, and this was fun. Thank you so much for the documentary. Honestly, like I'm a big cash fan. So this was such a treat to get this like perspective of him, of him and it just, and just to focus on his faith, because as you said, there's so much with cash. So to have this like kind of like close up of just this one element of his faith and how it just kind of like impacted all the other elements of his life and who he was and the music that he made, it's uh, it's really special. So thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed my conversation with you. And yeah, let's do it again on um, American Icon Series 3. Okay, done. Yo, that was director Ben Smallbone talking about his illuminating documentary, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. I'm Sammy, host of My Summer Layer. Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon is playing in limited release. I'll put the details in the show notes. Go check it out. Work through it slowly. Like how we process grief, you know? Whenever a famous person dies, I'm talking about talented individuals like Bowie or, or Prince or Michael Jackson or Johnny Cash. We try to sum up their life and their work in an obituary. As if an obituary can fully transmit the influence or convey the impact that these individuals had on our music, on, uh, on our pop culture, and on our lives. I adore recordings that Johnny Cash made with Rick Rubin. Yes, hurt, obviously, 100%, no doubt. But God's gonna cut you down, the man comes around, and ain't no grave. In this episode, I said to director Ben Smallbone, Johnny Cash made old man music. All of the Rick Rubin recordings are old man music. Cash is a veteran, not just of life, but of this harsh music industry. He's a veteran of faith, a veteran of hope. And yet Ben is correct. Cash's voice is not as strong as it used to be. You could say the uh, the timber has fallen off. <laughs> and yet the spirit is so strong, it moves effortlessly between the notes hidden in the melodies like a spiritual game of hide-and-seek. It's waiting to be discovered, like faith, the evidence of things not seen. I'm always amazed I get to live in this era. Amazed. I get to live in this era of, of Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, and this era of Johnny Cash and his Rick Rubin recordings. It's a head trip to ponder being born in a different time or never being born at all. It's all circumstances and luck. But that durable truth prompts easy gratitude. I don't know why I was born in this era, in this time, with these parents. (laughs) But I'm grateful I am. Because a Johnny Cash doesn't come along that often. The tender documentary Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, underscores all of that. 
Cash was a man of faith, but he was flawed. And he had a flawed faith. It's beautiful, really. If you ever head out on the dusty trail to Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee, you gotta check out the Johnny Cash Museum where you can see gems like the chair from Hurt. It's kind of like that throne kind of thing from the uh, Hurt music video. And you can see the House of Cash, that sign that's also in that Hurt video. As you kind of wind through the Johnny Cash Museums, one of the final display cases, once you kind of come to the end, and you're starting to realize this is the end, is his Bible. Like the owner, Johnny's Bible is weather-beaten. It's got deep grooves in it. It's well-traveled. It's full of hard-earned wisdom. It's clearly been everywhere, man. That worn, tired Bible, even if you've never seen it, echoes throughout Johnny Cash, the redemption of an American icon. It's difficult to put into words the value of a Johnny Cash. Cash is one of the beautiful pieces of pop culture I inherited from my parents, along with the Supreme, Rolling Stone, the Beatles, and other music makers. Though that doesn't make me special. We all hurt when we lost the Man in Black on September 21, 2003. As I said, Johnny Cash, the redemption of American Icon, is playing in limited release. Go. Please, go. Your faith will be rewarded. Follow me on social media. It's all three are My Summer Layer. Twitter, Facebook, IG. It's all My Summer Layer. You can share your thoughts on Johnny Cash. You can share your thoughts on this documentary. You can even share your thoughts on Nashville. What are your Johnny Cash thoughts? My Summer Layer for all three. Facebook, Twitter, and IG. Tell me, what are your Johnny Cash thoughts and feelings and emotions? Thank you for listening to me in a world filled with Folsom Prism Blues. Johnny Cash, yo.